Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you back to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. This week, for episode number four, I will be talking to the one and only Ashley G. But before we get to my rant of the week and my chat with Ashley, I'll remind you to check the show notes to learn how to subscribe to Post Woke on my Substack. By doing so, you'll get all my podcasts and all my articles, plus special bonus content for paid subscribers only. Also, you'll find my email address in the show notes. I welcome your sincere feedback and suggestions. The release date for this episode is November 24th, so I suppose that makes this the Thanksgiving episode. Therefore, I am required to play a brief clip from William S. Burroughs' 1986 Thanksgiving prayer. Thanks for the American dream to vulgarize and falsify until the bare lies shine through. The vulgarization and falsification continue. So perhaps I should offer my own prayer, 2021 style. Since this is supposedly the week for gratitude, I'll share my six reasons to feel grateful on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, after all, we've had a novel coronavirus, deadly and unnecessary lockdowns, civil unrest, political division, economic crises, a rise in mental health issues. The list goes on and on and on. Since March 2020, most of the world has suffered immensely in one way or another. Yet amidst the madness, there is room for gratitude. More specifically, I'm suggesting we should be grateful for what and who have been exposed over the past 21 months or so. So thanks for exposing science and medicine. If you ever had a doubt that these two institutions were hotbeds of corruption and greed, the response to COVID-19 surely cleared things up for you. Everything from social distancing to masks, to vaccines, to variants, to other treatments being demonized and beyond was a poorly constructed lie. Thanks for exposing corporations the biggest money grab in history, woke opportunism, support for mandates, and so much more. All their rainbow flags and BLM banners can't change who they are and have always been. Thanks for exposing government. It's a well-worn script. A crisis unfolds and elected officials across the ideological spectrum exploit it to enhance their power. Were you unsure whether or not any politician could be trusted? If so, you now have your answer. Thanks for exposing the woke left. The same clowns who once marched against Monsanto are now shilling for Moderna. Plus censorship, support for mandates, hypocrisy, thought control, groupthink. Need I go on? Thanks for exposing media and social media because all media outlets and all social media platforms, regardless of their ostensible narrative, are nothing more than AI-assisted stenographers to power. And thanks for exposing the general population. Did you ever wonder how your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, etc., would respond to a genuine or manufactured crisis? Well, take a good look around. 
Most of them, it seems, will follow orders and respect authority without question, willingly surrender their autonomy, volunteer to be lab rats, and gleefully turn on anyone who doesn't march in lockstep. Now you know. Yeah, I'm so thankful that so many people and institutions in my life have clarified who they are and how they behave under duress. To connect with like-minded and open-minded comrades, you are required to move on from those seeking to harm you or at least hold you back. You know exactly who they are. They've openly exposed that they do not have your best interests at heart. In order to move forward in a positive and powerful way, it is essential to know where you stand in relation to others. If you wish to continue growing, learning, and evolving, you must be willing to see and accept what's going on no matter how ugly it may get. So to my audience, I'll add, thanks for keeping your guard up. I'll be right back with Ashley G. Actually, before we get to Ashley, I want to explain up front that she, is, she was doing the interview from an outdoor location in Costa Rica, not far from a construction site. So there are some background noises, and I did have to do some editing to take out the particularly loud sections. Um, I hope it runs as smoothly as possible, but I do feel the need to explain this. You'll hear Ashley jokingly comment about me giving her credit for introducing me to so many occupiers. What you don't hear is I had to take out the part where I gave her credit for introducing me to so many occupiers because the background noise was untenable. And since perfection is not the goal, I'm happy with the result we have now. And without any further ado, I bring you Ashley G. I first met my guest, Ashley G, at Occupy Wall Street in Zuccotti Park. She is a native New Yorker currently living her dreams in Costa Rica. By branching away from societal norms and what was traditional for her culture, Ashley has navigated the world on her own terms. I'm happy to say that this has led her to remain a presence in my life for nearly a decade. So Ashley, welcome to Post Woke and thanks for talking to me from Costa Rica. Hey Mickey, thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me on your show. It is definitely an honor to um, be here, so I'm very grateful. You're too sweet. Um, I definitely, I mentioned Occupy, and I definitely want to talk about how we met and how we how we both ended up in Zuccotti Park. But I mentioned that you're in Costa Rica, so could you tell listeners just a little bit about why you're there and what's happening right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Earlier this year, I had um, purchased some land down here. Um, and so my goal for the last 12 or 14 years since I started working was that I always wanted to have some kind of something that belonged to me in the long run. Um, so like a little bit of my savings has always gone into um, some sort of savings that would go to that. Um, so during COVID this year, I started to search for properties um, and then I got this really great opportunity to buy some land down here in Costa Rica in Puerto Viejo, which is the Caribbean side of, um, of Costa Rica. Um, and I'm now building some rental cabins here. And it's about like maybe a 10 minute walk to the beach and a 10 minute ride by car, tuk tuk to um, like the downtown area, which is like full of like bars and restaurants and just like cool Caribbean surf vibes. Um, so yeah, I basically just kind of trying to build my dream. 
that that's awesome. What did you say? A tuk tuk to the to the bars? What did? Yeah, tuk tuk. So it's a um, it's it's an interesting little thing. So um, they're really known actually in Thailand, and they're basically a three three wheeler little moto like moto thing. I I don't even know how to describe it because it's <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like a car but smaller and definitely not a car and there's no there's no doors and it runs on three wheels so i can't say that it's a motorbike but it's kind of like a motorbike it's it's an interesting thing um i don't know the better way to explain it it sounds they, cool yeah it basically is the way that they like it's a it's like a, a little small little thing that they use as like a taxi service basically <laughs> it sounds like a practical choice like as opposed to like a full car um which makes me when you're describing um, your, your current scenario, I think to myself, this is a long way from the financial district of Manhattan where I first met you in Zuccotti Park. And, and um, so before I even talk about us meeting, I do want to ask you, what, what led you back in, in fall 2011, like a little more than 10 years ago, what led you to entering Zuccotti Park and staying for a while, like like get connecting with people and and being officially part of Occupy Wall Street. Um. So I like the majority of people really actually, you know, um, in the beginning I kind of was weary about what was going on in Zuccotti Park, um, and I was in college during that time. Um, and I remember, you know, people were talking about it, all the negatives about like, oh, it's dirty, they're they're gross, they're homeless, they're this, they're that. So I went down there, you know, with a notion of not really being certain. I just knew that there was something bigger going on than what the media was covering. Absolutely. And so maybe about uh, two weeks after it was going on, I decided to go down to um, Zuccotti because at that time I was I was um, really into photojournalism. Like there was something more gen genuine there. Like there's just this 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 space of like or like a community growing organically. Like and it was a beautiful thing to witness. Like a really beautiful um experience to witness and i i felt i felt almost addicted to it i felt like i wanted to be there and so i was basically juggling both school and work at the time and still making my way to get down to zuccotti park even though it took me almost like an hour hour and a half some days to get wow. to and from but the energy there was so invigorating that it, I never felt tired and, and being a part of something so beautiful, um, it, it really drove my spirit because I watched, um, like, and I, and I think that you also took notice in this, like just a few boxes of donate donated books growing to like almost 5,000 donated books. So it became like this whole library and, and all of these donated goods like flowing into this park to support this community that was growing to fight for a future for, the better of other people. So it was like the kitchen was growing, the, the medic center was growing, the comfort station was growing. Like, and this space was definitely a space that was sustainable on its own and it was beautiful. Like 
the whole park was also gener generated off of um, bikes and yeah. you know all of these things were super inspiring, super beautiful, super empowering, especially like growing up in um, New York, right? Where our culture is really just based off of like consumerisms and we're all just wrapped up in our own world. It was really something so beautiful to see people coming together and um, creating community in the way that we witnessed it at Zuccotti. I, I, it sounds, so I can imagine some people rolling their eyes here 10 years later because a lot has happened since then, but I couldn't agree with you more. The, the way the media covered it compared to what it felt like the first time I walked into the park could not have been more different. And what, no matter what's happened in the interim doesn't change the fact that I felt that same addiction where I can remember getting off the um, four or five train. And as I came upstairs a couple of blocks away, I could already hear the drum circle. I would get like, like it was almost like my heart skipped a beat. It was like, yeah, I'm here. And I, I was excited to see, like like you said, how much bigger is the kitchen today or how much how many more books in the library? And, and I was more of an observer and you and I met on Facebook, but we didn't actually meet and talk to each other, if my memory serves me correctly, till the six month anniversary, long after the uh, eviction on, um, on March 17th, we met and spoke. And one, by then I was so impressed with the fact that everybody knew you. So what I wanted to ask you though, is like moving along like chronologically, as time passed and you went on with your life and spent less and less time with occupiers or that scene, when you look back, when you say to yourself, what did, what did you, how did your, your experience with Occupy Wall Street or more should, I should say occupiers, like the community of people you met there, how did it change you and impact you and lead, lead to choices that you made since then? Oh, Mickey, you're such, you're such a great interviewer. <laughs> um, firstly, I want to thank you for giving me that credit. Um, but I, you know, like you're such an amazing human being alone. Like, you know, it, it was more so for you, I guess, like coming out of your own shell, because I definitely have a little bit of more um, extrovertness to yeah, me. Yeah, a little like, I'd say a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But like, you don't, you totally have like an amazing, 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 like, like personality alone. So no, 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 no. I don't want, I, I don't want to take your credit from you at all. Um, and I, my, my other thought about that is that, you know, I, I gravitated towards the humanity and the mura the, the morality aspect of um, Occupy. So I loved, I loved the people. I loved, I loved meeting the people and it never mattered to me what that person was there for um, as long as like the energy was right. And I think that that's what drew us together. Um, that like, you know, we just had so many, so much, so many things to talk about. Right. And so, um, one amazing thing about Occupy is that I went there with no knowledge about a lot of the things that I, I learned about. And so like the media is saying, oh, they don't know what they're fighting for and they don't know like what they want. And, and they, there's no agenda here, but that was the beauty of it. And the only way that I know how to explain Occupy is that like there, because there's so many, um, issues that are in the world and things that are in the world that are going on. Um, there's no one topic to focus on of, of the agenda of like, of how can we go forward? Right. So, 
um, I learned so, so many things through Occupy through so many people, right? Like I learned about veganism and the importance of, of veganism. And I learned about, um, I learned about climate change more than I ever learned about climate change. I learned about Monsanto, which I had no idea about um, genetically modified or like foods and all of those things. And I learned so much about like more deeply into like the politics of things, which, you know, is never really a beautiful, like a pretty topic, but like it was super um, important to just meet people where they were and listen to them and hear where they're coming from. And I think that that was the beauty of Occupy was that people came together and that's exactly what they did. We, there was no arguing there. It was, we were all there to learn from one another. And that's what I really loved. And it totally, totally, totally shaped the way that I, I lived after um, Occupy. Like, you know, um, the, the whole uh, Zuccotti Park had its, how, how would we call that? It was like a shutdown. Like, what, what, how would you describe that? The, the eviction? When, when the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the eviction happened. And I think for many people, um, it was extremely, um, it was extremely heartbreaking. You know, yeah, it was, it. it was, yeah, it was, it was so many, it was so many so much feeling like I, I don't even know how to describe what I felt in that moment because I remember getting a, a call because I wasn't there that night but I, I remember getting a call um and if I'm getting off tangent just you can no, no, please okay cool so yeah I, I remember getting a call that night when um that was going on and you know just hearing my friends um in the background screaming because I don't even think my girlfriend that was giving me a call that day, she even knew that she had called me. I think my her phone was just in her pocket. And I just heard like screaming and all of this. And it was like two in the morning, like some crazy yeah. time. And it was devastating for so many, so for so many people. And 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 what they did that night was was truly heartbreaking and really unheard of, I think, for a lot of people because I like the the library alone. I know that they shredded those books, and 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 you just saw boxes and boxes of thousands of books just being thrown into a dump truck, which was it's literature, you know. Yep. Um, and the way that they inv invaded um, people's personal spaces in that park, and like, yeah, it was that was really crazy. Um, and so I think that they tried to keep the community and the spirit of that park alive for many months after um, the eviction. And we tried to preserve that as much as possible. And I don't think that it was exactly, you know, the easiest because we were surrounded by riot gear police in almost every single park around yep. New York City. Um, and so something for me that I guess I may have taken away is that, you know, we may not be able to change the world on a grand scheme of things, but like us being single people in the world and how we interact with people in the world, I think plays a major part in how we can influence the world. And um, I think to give myself a little bit more of that ease, because, you know, when you're so passionate about wanting to change the world and influence the way that people think and feel and, and interact with one another, it's, 
you know, there comes a point when it's like, sometimes we can't, and sometimes we have to accept that. And, um, I think that my biggest lesson within, within that was learning to let go of, of, of trying to change such a greater scheme or greater, um, mass of people and just focus on my individual life and my community and how I showed up for the people in my life. That's, that's, that is a perfect segue. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I, I do want to touch on two topics, the, the personal choices that you've made um, in terms of living, living a non-traditional life and how both you and I have drifted away from um, what would be considered traditional activism. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Ashley G. And I'm about to ask her about um, what it's like, well, basically if Occupy and the experience of learning all this new information and meeting all these diverse, interesting people helped inspire you to, to move even further out of um, the traditional expectations of your culture and the traditional expectations of life itself for a woman in, in modern America. Uh, okay, so... Um... So for everybody who is listening in, I am first and second generation Chinese. Uh, What that means is that my father was born in China and he immigrated to the States with his family when he was 13. And my mom is, uh, she's first generation. So my grandparents immigrated here and they had my mom in um, the States. So my mom was born in New York and lived in almost every borough. so there's a lot of different um, cultural differences in a traditional Chinese upbringing. Um, while I am very Americanized because my mom was very Americanized, I did have a lot of the um, traditional Chinese um, expectations growing up. And, you know, a lot of that is scholars. So like your education, your career path, you know, um, the way you present yourself, the way you carry yourself. Women are usually not outspoken. They're more submissive. They listen. Um, And I I definitely growing up um, have always been a rebel, not bragging to brag about that, but it's something that I've had to like embrace. You know, I, I definitely had to like learn how to embrace because I was definitely um, for the greater part of my life, like definitely shunned for my behavior of just like doing whatever it was that I wanted to do, um, you know, and, and and with like learning experiences, you know, can't say that I did everything right. But, you know, I, I definitely got went about life in my own ways. Um, and there was definitely like ways that like I really wasn't sure of, but you know, I, I still went for it and Occupy was one of them. Like my, my family was not into the fact that I was at Occupy whatsoever. And, you know, as I started to evolve throughout Occupy, like I even went through this phase of like, oh, I'm not even going to use any more deodorant. And not because, not because like we're all dirty hippies, right? <laughs> I'm not using a. I'm not using deodorant because I don't want to put aluminum in my body anymore and yep. parabens. So before I cross the bridge to understand which deodorants worked for me, I was just like, I'm not wearing deodorant anymore, right? So, my, Mickey, did you have something to ask me? No, no, I just chuckled. 
Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I was definitely a little smelly for, <laughs> for a little bit before I crossed over that bridge. And um, I definitely had my experiences with my family saying, you know, like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> I don't up? know if we're allowed to say that. Like, we're allowed to say that here. <laughs> well, you, know, um, no, you could curse. You could curse if you want to. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, you said what the fuck. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm gonna try to keep it clean, but okay. if it comes out. Yeah, it might come out. Okay. Um, so yeah, my my family definitely was in the space of like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know. Um, and I, I, I don't know, it's, um, it, it empowered me to like understand that like I wasn't alone and I wasn't alone in how I felt and I wasn't alone with my choices of like, you know, how I felt or what I felt was right or wrong. Um, and, and then also like just learning, you know, all the things that I have learned about. And it was, it was like the experience was almost greater than what I could ever have learned in school, right? There was a lot of hands-on um, work that we've done, like on the community aspect. And then there was also like sitting in talks like yours, Mickey, where I just learned so much, you know, about the world and animals and veganisms and the importance of that and all of those, those great, like, things that like, I would not have had the knowledge to even look up on my own at all. So um, am I striving away from the question? No, basically, it sounds to me that you, correct me if I'm wrong, you always had this sense of personal rebellion and you, you respected your family's traditions, but you wanted to do things your way and had been working in that direction. But, and as I can speak from personal experience also, when you're in a park where people are living and trying to create a community, like you said, there, there was a kitchen, there was a, a, a medic section, there was a library, there was a media section, there was a music section, there was a, a childcare section. You, we were like in this alternative universe for a little while. You couldn't help but, but, but be empowered to say, oh yeah, I'm gonna be as much me as I wanna be. And I feel like that's the point where I met you, so I didn't know what you were like prior to that, but you seemed to be just so hungry for information and change and awareness. And I think that's what drew, drew us to each other as friends. Well, Mickey, actually, um, yes, I, I wanted to be your friend. You were so cool in my eyes. So I'm not gonna take away from that comment at all. Um, and I was hungry for um, information. I did love to learn, but um, you know, you're 100% also correct that I did respect my family's, you know, wants for me, but it wasn't my path, right? Like that wasn't my path ever because um, it was really hard for me. School was really challenging for me. I did not know how to learn in that structural environment. And um, and then like, again, like I was going through college at that, at that time and I had a 3.4 GPA, but it was more so because I just did what I needed to do, but it wasn't because I it wasn't because I was doing more than that. I just was doing the base of it, right? Um, but actually when you had first met me, probably maybe, so you're saying that we met six months into Occupy, maybe seven months prior to us meeting then, I was actually super materialistic. So um, I was, you know, into shoes and I was into bags and I was into dressing up and I was into going out like any other 21 year old young woman growing up in New York City. Too, right? 
with deodorant. Yep. <laughs> it smelled a lot better those days. Um, I smell great now, by the way. <laughs> um, I worked out the aluminum and I know what to use now. <laughs> Um, but no, but like, you know, that, like, that was a thing for me was that during that time, like, you know, I, I had a closet full of purses and shoes and dresses and bags and beautiful things. And when Occupy started, um, maybe right before Occupy, like I was saving up to buy this $1,800 bag because I wanted it so bad. And it was my first major purchase on like a purse. And so like, Imagine me, Nikki. No, <laughs> like, no, like right? I know this is like cut the show now. But like, really, <laughs> imagine me, like, right, like Ashley, twenty-one years old, saving up uh, for a Louis Vuitton bag, and by the time that I finally saved up that eighteen hundred dollars, I was like. I was already like one month into Occupy and I was just like, holy shit, this $1,800 can support an entire school for one year in Africa or any other third world country. Like this is bizarre. I didn't buy the bag, but um, <laughs> that's, that's how much I actually dramatically changed myself. Like, um, and then through Occupy, you know, I totally was like, I want to be a minimalist. I don't want to have any more shit. I donated. I didn't sell. I donated like nearly 70% of my closet, like my bags, my shoes, my, my sneakers, my, my clothes. Like I didn't want any of it. I was like, there's no importance in this. This is, this is all consumerism. And, and that's really actually has done like such a beautiful, like made such a beautiful impact in my life to know that I, like what we have does not define us. Like our material belongings does not define us. Like, yes, I might like good quality things, but it doesn't define me anymore. And I will not allow that to define me. And that's one of like the most beautiful takeaways that I've taken from Occupy. Um, I, love, I love that. I love that distinction. So if you don't mind me jumping in here, because yeah. it, it could bring us up to literally why you're there in Costa Rica now in the sense that I agree when when you go hardcore into activism there is a tendency to almost swing too extreme in the other direction which you you and I had plenty of people who gave up everything and literally lived on the street and you can make a good argument that it didn't that wasn't necessary to make the world a better place for people to just suddenly almost kind of ruin their life and live on the street. And so you kind of have to swing in one direction and say, I don't want to be materialist. And then you might go a little too far. And then you start to say, all right, well, what defines me to use your phrase? Like, and here I am talking to you now, 10 years later. And in that time period, you've run a yoga studio and now you, you're going far, far further into entrepreneurship, but in a way that's responsible, authentic, and true to who you are, where you're able to live a life as a an independent activist woman, but not m doing virtue signaling of saying, "Look at me! I I, I have nothing." I'm trying to prove something to the world by how little I have. Say, no, I'm still going to live a quality life, but I'm that involves taking care of myself and taking care of as many other people as I can. And mm. so, if you could just touch on sort of the journey from. Um, the, the steps of running a yoga studio for a while and then the leap to where you are now of becoming um, running these, this property down in Costa Rica, is, which is very close to being finished. Yes. Um, okay. So 
you know, um, one of my greatest passions in life is traveling. Um, and that passion is not for Instagram for me to take pictures and be like, hey, look at me. I'm in Mexico. I'm in Thailand. I'm in whatever places, right? There's so many beautiful places, but my, my strive is really people, right? I love to understand the way that people work and operate. And I love to understand different cultures and, you know, like we're really blessed and fortunate to be born where we are, right? For, for it's, you know, checks and balances. We are really great, like privileged. We are privileged to like be born in America for whatever that's worth. Right. So I think that, um, it's, it, it was really important for me, um, to experience like the world in that way. And I always had all these different ideas, right. Of, of different things that I wanted to do. So, um, so one was running a yoga studio. One was running some kind of retreat center. Um, one was, uh, photographing people from all around the world to, because like the eyes of people tells stories. Right. And I, and I love that. And, and I wanted to show people the rawness of, of, of the world and life beyond what we know, um, life as. And so, um, I, I, I also did a little bit of like, um, like making wellness snacks and stuff like that. And, um, striving to aid people towards taking care of their mental health, let alone their physical bodies, because I understood the importance of moving your physical body of taking care of your health and how those things, um, correlate. Right. So all of the things that I've ever wanted to do all comes down to one thing and it's really people, right? Like I, I want to create a space for people to um, rejuvenate, you know, whether it's in a yoga studio where they're moving their bodies or if it's something that they're eating that's, you know, supporting their day-to-day lifestyle or if it's coming down to a retreat, you know, they're taking care of themselves for that time or with my newest project here in um, Costa Rica, like providing people a space that, you know, um, it's a perfect balance of restore yourself, you know, take care of yourself, get to know yourself, heal yourself. But there's also um, a space within my property that just supports community. Like I grew up around the table having tea with my family, with my mom, with my my girlfriends and my mom. And um, that's one of my greatest pleasures growing up is having that togetherness. And so um, thinking about creating this project down here um, really had a lot to do with bringing community, you know, like you're having five different cabinas or five different rooms that people can stay in. So you're having five different walks of life and can be 10, right? Because it's double occupancy. Um, So it could be 10 people coming together from different walks of life. So like what's a space without bringing people together? And so that was really important to me was how can I cultivate, cultivate this space so that people feel comfortable to group together in this way. But also I want to note on um, like in terms of activism, right? Like knowing that we come from a privileged, a, pri- a more privileged country, 
um, and knowing that, you know, I'm not rich. I, I worked in the restaurant industry for over 12 years and a lot of my savings came from waitressing and um, nannying, you know, I, I'm like by no means wealthy through my family in any way. Like this, this project is purely off of my savings working my ass off. Um, and so with the knowledge of understanding that like, we're still way more privileged than other people. Um, I want to note that my greatest accomplishment throughout this entire project has been, um, being able to support other people's lives and livelihoods and doing so in a doing so in a way that I show up for them you know like I am more privileged so I have people who are almost twice my age working for me and there is not one part of me that's I'm the boss, I have the money and you work for me so you're going to listen to me like I don't ever show up in that way I make a point to show up in the space of you guys are here for me and you're supporting me through this project and you're building the, you're building my dreams. You're literally taking my visions and you're literally creating exactly what I want. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want to show up in a space for you to show you that no, not every expat that's going to move in here is trying to take advantage of um, the currency exchange, you know? So I, I really strive on the importance of that and supporting the local economy in any way that I can. And, you know, like not trying to haggle for like, oh, you know, how can I get the most out of my dollar? It's, there's definitely like a reciprocation between me and my employees, which is also such a weird, um, such a weird like dynamic to say because I I don't know like having people ask me for permission for things yeah. right now is like super super but, weird for me because I just literally stopped working in the restaurant industry like less than a year ago you know when I'm just asking people for permission um but I, I but I I know what it's like to work for great employers and I know what it's like to work for really shitty employers so like I've worked in the industry for almost 12 years. I had over 20 restaurant jobs alone because if I didn't feel the management in that establishment, I left because it's not serving me. It's not serving my purpose. I know that I bring 110% wherever I go. And so if I'm not met with that same energy, I'm not going to invest myself into that. And so um, you know, coming here and investing my money into this economy here, I I want to be very aware of the uh, energy exchange as well. And I think that my the people who work for me really feel that and appreciate that. And like when you look at the space, the space is literally just emitting love. Like imagine like five or six grown men literally creating my space with so much love like it's it's so beautiful and it's not beautiful because like oh yeah ashley designed it it's beautiful because i feel like it's a reciprocated energy they've gone above and beyond for me in my project to just create such a beautiful space and it's like you know they're construction workers but it's like because they feel appreciated i feel like it shows through my project just the immense um energy they put into it for me 
Um, and it's just, it's absolutely just way beyond what I could have even imagined it being. It's that, that is such, it's like if someone would have asked me prior to this, what would be your expectation of Ashley's project? So many of those things would be in my, in my description because you, this is who you are. But in terms of like being on a podcast about intellectual self-defense and so on, I see it as you learn these powerful lessons and you've been involved with traditional activists, but what, what you've taken from it is like activism as a mindset, as a way of life, or to use your phrase, which was awesome, is as an energy exchange. Like, you know, if people want to carry signs on the street or chant, that's one thing. It's another thing to, like you said, to respectfully go into a, another um, person's space and to work with them with sharing energy and and to, to, to talk about opening up your, your property, not just as, as a way to make money, because we all need to make money, but as a way to create community and create powerful memories. I, it is, it, it, to me, that's, that's the day-to-day -day activism that we all should be striving for far more than, than posting on Facebook or like I said, carrying signs. So I'm, I'm really excited for you. I'm going to assume that you don't have, I, cause, cause we're going to wrap up here shortly. Um, the property, when it, when it's up and running, we can, maybe we'll talk again, or I'll certainly give out information of how people can find out more, but I just want to, just say that I, that I'm so excited for you and proud of you for this project and 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 grateful for you taking time to talk to me. But I do need to ask one final question because you you threw it in there that you figured out the whole deodorant aluminum thing. So tell the listeners <laughs> what what's the secret to to staying healthy and not smelly at the same time. Okay, <laughs> I just go for a deodorant that does not have aluminum and parabens anymore. I mean, okay. the world isn't. Perfect. In that time, I was also like against plastic. So I was like very like, I'm not buying anything like that has plastic. And, you know, so I will admit that I have gone back to having a <laughs> deodorant that is in a plastic container. In that time, I was using, I think it was like a salt cube. Do you know those? Yes. yes. Yeah, those things do not work. Like I am way too smelly for that. <laughs> does not work um at all but um in terms of like staying healthy i want to note that like this project has not been easy at all like it looks so glamorous on the outside and it is it's so beautiful physically it's it's so beautiful this place is so beautiful but this journey has been a definitely a, a part of my spiritual journey and path and so i just want to note that it's it's so important like, I know that this sounds super cliche. I grew up in New York. I understand the hustle and bustle. But it's so crucial to take moments in your life to pause and ask yourself, what do I need today um, to support myself? You know, so um, Mickey, as you know, I'm down here doing this project on my own. A lot of, of, of this on my own. I have, you know, my friends back home that are supporting me. But like in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I'm here by myself um navigating a whole different system in a totally different language um and it's definitely been quite an experience and so um you know also de dealing with misogyny which we're not even going to get into today maybe in another conversation and maybe Absolutely. not yeah. Yeah. but um th those different dynamics definitely add to a, a different level of stress right so um 
I think it's super important to check in with yourself and literally ask yourself every day and every morning when you wake up, what do I need today? Because because life is ever changing and nothing's really actually the same from day to day. Like we think that an experience happens and that is the experience that we're going to be having. But actually life actually changes every single day. And so how our energy, like how we're receiving the energy and all of those things, like those those experiences for us are constantly changing. And so my, my greatest thing has been like, you know, waking up and asking myself, what do I need today? You know, and, and there's days where like, I'm not a, a, a drinker, or like, you know, whatever like that, but like, I'll have a glass of wine or I'll have a cocktail here and there. And the other night, like, I know we have to wrap it up, but just to, just to, um, you know, give an example, a friend of mine was like, Hey, Ashley, like, you know, let's, let's grab a bottle of wine and some cheese and go over to our friend's house. And I was just like, you know what, that sounds cool, but it's your last night. And I do want to see you. Um, but can we just actually grab a smoothie tonight? Cause I'm feeling like my body, um, doesn't really want to have alcohol or dairy today. And like being okay with that, you know, um, because I'm not perfect in any way. Um, like, you know, I, I, I'm not vegetarian anymore. I do have meat here and there, but like checking in with yourself on even the smallest detail of that is like, what do I need today for my body? And like knowing like, you know, labels aren't anything you can check in with yourself and ask yourself exactly what you need and allow the universe to guide and support you for what you want for yourself and what would be um, proper for you because I'm I'm sure that if I had dairy and and wine that particular night I I may have woken up and been completely like lethargic you know and, and maybe my body knew that and was just like nope hell no we're not doing that today um and then the little things about like, you know, just keeping ourselves like grounded and keeping ourselves moving and keeping ourselves in a space of um, gratitude is important. And like, you know, like there's days where I'm surrounded by people almost the whole day. And then there's days where I have to check in with myself and say, hey, Ashley, what do you need today? And it's like, oh, OK, you don't want to be around anybody. All right. Let's go to the beach, just hang out by ourselves today and chill. Um, so I think it really comes to a space of like self-awareness and checking in with ourselves, ask ourselves what we know, what we need, because our bodies, we know within ourselves what we need. And it's that's the greatest medicine that we can have. I, I could I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up than those words of wisdom and compassion that that was perfect ashley and and i'm speaking of gratitude i'm grateful that you took all this time to be on the show and i'm very excited to to uh follow your adventures down there when this project completely reaches fruition and um i when you're back in new york i want to get together and hang out so yes 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 Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. And I'm sure the listeners really, really enjoyed um, hearing you. And I definitely will have you on again, because like you said, there's so many other nuanced topics to talk about on you, from your journey. And, and let this be the first of uh, many interviews. So thank mm -hmm. you, Ashley. Mickey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, inviting me on your show, taking this time to have me here, 
like I feel honored and very blessed, very fortunate to um, be talking to you on your show. So thank you for interviewing me. And I hope um, everybody just has a really, really great day. Thank you so much. I will be right back with my story of the week. For this week's story, I'm going to tie things together to Occupy Wall Street for obvious reasons. But to begin with, I'm gonna go all the way back to my days as a student at St. Patrick's Grammar School, because that's where I was introduced to the concept of patrol boys. At other schools across the nation, as far as I know, a patrol boy might typically help with street crossing. At St. Pat's, they were basically toy cops. So please allow me to elaborate. At lunchtime, all of us students were set free to burn off some of our pent up energy. The street was blocked off in front of our school and that space was reserved for seventh and eighth graders. Behind the building in a schoolyard of sorts, the younger kids gallivanted. Sixth grade boys, the oldest of the youngest, were given a chance to volunteer as patrol boys. They'd get cheesy badges and elastic sashes. The job of the patrol boys was basically to spoil all the fun by creating a police state environment. They would strut around and exert their power over smaller kids. Anyone who was deemed to be misbehaving would be warned. If they did not immediately shape up, they'd be told to get up against the wall. Even after the return to class lunch bell rang, those singled out kids would have to stand there up against the wall until they were taken inside by a teacher guilty without a trial. Punishment could range from a thousand word essays like I will obey the patrol boys or detention, or sometimes even having their parents called in. Simply put, patrol boys operating safely out of sight from the older kids who would have kicked their ass were seen as ass kissing narcs. Having had a few against the wall moments ourselves, my friends and I were not interested in badges and elastic sashes upon reaching the sixth grade, but something temporarily changed our minds. One of my closest friends, Frankie, was the youngest of three brothers. His super cool siblings served as our elders. They were role models to us and would often turn us on to pop culture content well beyond what was suggested for our age range. For example, there was a song by David Peel and the Lower East Side called Up Against the Wall, Motherfucker. Those were basically all the lyrics. So upon hearing this New York City street classic, I remarked, this makes me want to be a patrol boy even just for one hour. Frankie's face broke into a wide grin and the next day we volunteered our services as proof that we did indeed believe in law and order. We got badges, we got elastic sashes, and we set out to David Peel the entire schoolyard. Going out of our way to provoke fourth and fifth graders into conflicts, we'd then gleefully chant, up against the wall, motherfucker. You do this a few times and well, other kids will join in. How irresistible it was for, for them and us wearing Catholic school uniforms while standing in the shadow of St. Patrick's Church to rebel in the form of mimicking our elders. Long story short, we were banished from the patrol boys, we somehow managed to avoid detention, and the chant lived on in St. Pat's schoolyard for the rest of the year. I'd call that mission accomplished. Now, <clears throat> as for David Peel, this is from an article in the New York Times. They called him a longtime New York street musician whose song, I Like Marijuana, became a hippie anthem in the 60s. 
They said he was an anarchist and a marijuana evangelist equipped with three guitar chords, a screaming vocal style, and an endless stream of punchy, provocative lyrics aimed at the establishment in all its forms. Sounds perfect to me. Now, he was born David Michael Rosario to Puerto Rican parents, but later chose Peel as his stage name. Legend has it that this was in reference to the belief that smoking a banana peel could get you high. David Peel gained global notoriety in 1971. John Lennon and Yoko Ono, upon pulling up to Tompkins Square Park in their limo, saw and heard Peel and his band in action. Lennon signed them on the spot to Apple Records and produced their 1972 album, The Pope Smokes Dope. We loved his spirit, his music, and his philosophy of the street, Lennon once explained. Now fast forward four decades from that 1972 album, yeah, John Lennon is long gone. Cannabis is legal in many states. Yours truly is a pretty well-known New York City activist. And David Peel is still going strong, laying down a soundtrack for, wait for it, Occupy Wall Street. He and his crew, featuring aging Lower East Side legends like Aaron Kay, a.k.a. The Pie Man, they were seen as the elders for this new generation of rabble-rousers. FYI. Peel updated and transformed his classic into Up Against the Wall Street. In Zuccotti Park and elsewhere, I became close friends with many of the Occupy musicians, from the drum circle to the guitar me. I'd regularly see this boisterous older guy with his long hair dyed jet black, singing and dancing and agitating, so I asked about him. Steve, a guitarist friend, explained, that's David Peel, you know, the guy who, I cut him off. I assured Steve I needed no further context. David and I were introduced, we chatted, and I, I took his photo, and he instantly friended me on Facebook. From that moment on, he greeted me as brother whenever we crossed paths, and the sixth grader in me would swoon every time. I remember marching with David and many others in the annual Cannabis Parade in 2013 when I finally decided to share my patrol boy story with him. But before I could say anything, another dude interrupted David to offer his own remembrance of being ostracized for singing Peel's radical songs. David looked almost disappointed and replied with something like, do you know how many times somebody has told me a story like that? Embarrassment averted, I opted to not bore him with tales of badges and elastic sashes. Occupy Wall Street eventually splintered into the wind. I drifted away from the folly of street activism. David Peel, however, kept recording and singing in downtown parks right up to the end. I got a message from Steve the guitarist in 2017 that David had passed away. The New York Times obituary declared, he leaves no known survivors, but I must beg to differ. So I thank you listeners. I appreciate your support. I hope you will subscribe and I will see you next week with another episode. And in the meantime, keep your guard up. Up against the wall, motherfucker! Up against the wall, motherfucker! Up against the wall, motherfucker! Up against the wall, up against the wall! Up against the wall, motherfucker. La 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 la.